starting in verse number 10. So I'm going to do my best tonight to teach. Some people say treach, but I think I'm just going to teach tonight. Is that all right? Amen. Matthew chapter 9, verse 10. If you're there, say amen. And I will be reading from the ESV just because it's a little easier to understand. Matthew chapter 9, verse 10, and then after there, we'll be going to Matthew chapter 12. But in Matthew chapter 9, it says, And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. But when the Pharisees saw this, thank you, sir, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And then he says this. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's flip over to Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse number 1. And then I promise I will let you be seated. Matthew 12 and 1, it says, And at that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, his disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And again, notice again, when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? I tell you something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. And so I want to talk to us for just a little while from this simple thought. God desires our mercy more than our sacrifice. Amen. You can be seated. So before we get started, I'll go ahead and give you the definition of mercy as told to me by two of my good friends, um, Webster and Miriam. They told me that the definition of mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or to harm. In other words, if one of you were to commit a crime this evening and the police showed up to take you to jail... It would be impossible for me to extend mercy to you because I do not have the authority to extend mercy. However, if you steal from me, if you slap me, if you treat me bad, it's, it's within my right to treat you harshly. Amen? But if I choose to forgive you, then I am extending mercy. I'm having compassion on you, and I'm showing you mercy. God had every right to punish us when we were sinners. But instead, he showed mercy by withholding our punishment and by taking our place on the cross. And so when I'm talking about mercy this evening, I'm talking about compassion. I'm talking about extending something to somebody that they do not deserve. I'm talking about loving people. Amen? Amen. And so in the passages that we read in Matthew chapter 9 and Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is quoting from an Old Testament book. He's quoting from the book of Hosea. 
and specifically Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6. Basically what he's doing is he's looking at these people who are supposed to be experts in the law, people who are supposed to have everything figured out, people that were supposed to understand what God had written in his word. He was looking at these people and he's saying, if you really knew what I had said in my word, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. If you really understood what I was trying to say from the beginning, you wouldn't be here questioning me right now about what I'm doing. But because you don't seem to understand what I'm saying, because you don't seem to grasp this, I want you to go and learn what I meant when I said that I desired mercy and not sacrifice. You see, Israel in this time, and specifically the Pharisees, they were very stringent and very meticulous when it came to the law. They, they followed every letter of the law to the T. They were so stringent on what they were doing that they would even divide their spices and their grains and they would pay tithes on it to show how faithful they were to the law and how righteous they were as individuals. And so even though these people would follow the law down to the letter, they missed the spirit behind the law and it caused them to turn their nose up at people and to not have compassion for anyone. And because of this, when Jesus showed up, with his compassion and with his mercy. They resented him because every time he did something that went against their own definition of religion. Every time Jesus sat down with people who the Pharisees consider themselves to be better than. Or every time he ate with people that the Pharisees looked down upon. It graded on them because they believed that their holiness had made them superior to those that they considered sinners. And so because of this, they thought if Jesus was really who he said he was, if this really was God manifest in the flesh, then he'd be sitting over here beside me pointing his finger at you, condemning you for the sinfulness that you've committed like we've been doing. But Jesus was trying to do something different. He was trying to get them to understand that this law that I gave you, it was never meant to save you. This law was never meant to make you superior to anybody else. I didn't give you these rules so that you could turn your nose up to people that couldn't follow it. I gave you this law because it was a roadmap that would eventually lead you to a better promise that I had for you. But unfortunately, the Pharisees had begun to put more faith in the law than in the, than in, than in the God of the law. And so, too often, if we're not careful, this is what happens. We can allow our adherence to the letter of the law interfere with what the spirit behind the law is actually saying. So does this mean that there's no more law? No. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3 and 6 that the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. This means that we have to have balance in our walk with God. Amen. If all I have is the word of God and there's no spirit behind what I'm doing, I don't have a relationship with God, I'm just trying to live by God based on what the book says, I'm going to live a very dry and dead life. But if all I have is the spirit of God and I take no notice to what the Bible says, then I'm going to have a chaotic life. Because if we come here with all word, we're dead. But if we come here with all spirit, we're in chaos because there's nothing to govern us except for our own personal convictions and our own personal relationship with God. And that's not what God intended. What God wanted, he wanted us to allow the spirit of God to move in our lives and to enable us to understand the word that he has given us so that we could be like Jesus was when the Bible says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. 
and that's what he wants for us. Amen. Dry mouth this evening. So understand me this evening, okay, before somebody calls pastor and say Jonah has gone off the walls. Jonah has not gone liberal, okay? Um, I understand that the, that the church has standards, that God has put some things in his word that we are supposed to abide by. Amen? There are some things the Bible tells us to avoid. There's some things that the Bible gives us guidance on. That if we obey it, it's going to help us live the life that he wants us to live. Our modesty is not legalism. Amen? It's not just a list of rules that we use to shove down people's throats. We don't dress the way we dress. We don't act the way we act. We don't look the way we look so that we can point our fingers to somebody else that's not living that way and, and, and consider ourselves better than they are. God gave us this lifestyle. God gave us a lifestyle of holiness as a guardrail to protect us and to guide us into a lifestyle of holiness that will ultimately please him. I do what I do not to be superior. I do what I do because he saved me and I want to please him. And so the issue that we have is not that we have guidelines and standards within the church. That's not the issue. But it's when we make the law itself more important than what the law was supposed to represent. So let me try to show you what I'm talking about before y'all run me out of here. In the Old Testament, when somebody was a leper, there was a procedure they had to follow. They would have to show themselves to the priest. They would have to, the priest would have to examine them. And if they, if they were indeed leprous, if they had leprosy, they were considered unclean and they were cast out of the camp. And so once they were cast out of the camp, they were considered unclean. So these people became outcasts. They had to cover their face. Everywhere they went, they had to cry out, unclean, unclean, unclean. Some people said that they had to be a stone's throw away. So if you picked up a rock and hit them, it was their fault. They were too close. I heard that somewhere. I don't know if that's true. But they had to be away from everybody. The law prohibited them from, from having any kind of contact with people. They were separated. They were outcasts. But one day Jesus is going around in Mark chapter 1 and he's teaching from city to city to city. And all of a sudden a leprous man approaches him. Now according to the law this man is unclean and Jesus is not permitted to touch him. But the man just simply asked one thing. He says, Lord if you're willing you can make me clean. And so at this moment Jesus had every right to turn his back to this leprous man. He had every right to obey the letter of the law and say that you are unclean and I'm not permitted to touch you. But Jesus looked at this man with compassion and said, I am willing. And so today we have to understand that we are surrounded by people that the Bible has called lost, that the Bible has said is sinful, that the Bible said was wicked, that the Bible called workers of iniquity. And so based on the letter of the law, it is my job to show them how lost they are, to show them that they are indeed on their way to a devil's hell, that unless they turn from their unrighteousness and their wickedness, that God is going to judge them. But I have a choice this evening. I can choose to stand on the side of my self-righteousness and act like a Pharisee and turn my nose to people that are broken, to people that are lost, and have the inability to have any kind of empathy or sympathy for anybody, or I can choose to extend my hand in mercy and be like Jesus was and say, I'm willing to touch you. I'm willing to get to where you are and I'm willing to invest in your life. 
God forbid that I use the word of God to condemn somebody when God's not ready to condemn them. You see, one day Jesus is going to come back and he's going to sit on the judgment seat of Christ. And he's going to hold each and every one of us accountable. The Bible goes so far as say every idle word that I've spoken is going to be held accountable when he sits on the judgment seat. But that time is not today. When the temple was rent on the crucifixion, when Jesus died on that cross and the temple was written in half, we did not gain access to the judgment seat of Christ, but we gained access to the mercy seat of Christ. We don't, we, it's not our job to place somebody in hell. As a matter of fact, when Jesus came back from the dead and he gave Peter some keys, he said, here, you can have these keys. These are the keys to the kingdom. But these keys to death, hell, and the grave, I'm going to keep for myself because it's not your place to send somebody to hell. And we have too many people in our world that are content to look at people and put somebody somewhere that it's not your job or your ability to put them there. God said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I saw a tweet yesterday. Forgive me, I'm thirsty. I saw a tweet yesterday that said this, and I thought it was good. God's grace is bigger than we are comfortable admitting. God's grace is bigger than we are comfortable admitting. And if we take an evaluation of my life, if I look back at some of the things I used to think, I used to think I had to pray through every time I did something bad, every time I had a bad thought, oh, the Holy Ghost left me, I got to come back and find God again. But God's grace is so big and his mercy is so deep. And so understand that this doesn't mean that it's no longer necessary for us to sacrifice to God. Amen? What it does is it actually takes our sacrifice to a deeper level. Because anybody can just follow a rule, right? Who has a job that you have rules to follow, right? Do you agree with all those rules? Well, you like that paycheck, right? So we do it. Dress codes, whatever it is, we do it because we want a paycheck. Following rules isn't the problem. But what God is trying to do, he says, I want you to have a deeper level to your sacrifice. You see, God called us to a separated life, but he did not call us to be separated from people. God called us to have a separated life so that we would be separated unto him. That's what he called us for. We're not called to hide ourselves from this world. The Bible says that we are to be salt and light. We're supposed to be the ones who step into the culture and change the atmosphere of where we go. We're supposed to be the ones that has an impact everywhere that we go. I shouldn't be the one that walks by a store and they're playing some, some music that I disagree with. That shouldn't affect my spirit. My spirit should affect them. Because what I have is greater than what they have. And so we're supposed to be salt and light. We're supposed to change the atmosphere. Food does not change the flavor of salt. Salt changes the flavor of food. Amen. You see, our culture is real big on, on influencers. Anybody know what an influencer is? Anybody follow an influencer on Instagram? Please don't tell me if you do. Follow a Kardashian, anybody? No, please don't answer that. Don't answer that. But we have a big thing right now with influencers. Everybody wants to be an influencer. That's why they're posting the, the dumbest videos. I must be getting old. 
But I look at stuff like TikTok, and I'm thinking, why do y'all find this funny? They're being as dumb as they can possibly be just to get you to look at it because they're trying to gain influence. They're trying to get people to notice them. Everybody wants that viral video. Everybody wants that million subscribers. And it's because if I can get that, it can validate my life and I can be an influencer in our culture. That's what we want to be. But I'm here to tell you this evening that God has placed a calling on your life, a calling that does not need a million subscribers, a calling that does not need to wait for a viral video, but he has empowered you to be an influencer in your generation, and it is our responsibility to reach our city. When God said, I want you to be salt and light, has anybody ever walked outside with a fully functional flashlight and the darkness overtake it? It's not the way it works. What, ha what happens if you go outside and the flashlight doesn't work? The, the source. There's a problem with the source. So if my light's not shining in my culture, then I need to examine the source that I'm supposedly connected to. Because if I'm connected to the source the way I'm supposed to be, the light is going to permeate through the darkness, and there's nothing that can stop that. It's a natural process that occurs from being connected to the source. God called us to be salt, to be light, to change the atmosphere, to change the culture that we're surrounded in. We're not supposed to be afraid of our culture. We're supposed to engage our culture and challenge them and, and change the environment for the better. Amen? Influencers. And so with that said, what good is it for me to have to be the greatest outward representation of what an apostolic person should look like if I look down my nose on somebody that looks differently than me? What good are my standards if my heart is not towards people? And how good is good news if I alienate people from hearing it? Sometimes I wonder if we realize that somebody that has a different political belief than me is going to be in heaven. Because sometimes... I see things on Facebook and Instagram and I say, what if what I post or what I say or what I do or my actions or my attitude alienates somebody from hearing the gospel of Christ? Nothing should supersede the gospel of Christ. Amen. Amen. God called us to be influencers. He wants us to take the gospel to the whole world, no matter what they believe, no matter what they represent, no matter what they look like. God has called us to engage with them and be like Jesus and say, I'm willing to touch you. I'm willing to engage you where you're at. I'm not afraid of any situation. I'm not afraid of any demographic. I'm not afraid of any kind of person because there is a God in heaven that he could save me, then he can save you. And so like I said, this doesn't mean that God does not honor our sacrifices. What I'm saying is that if we do not learn to show mercy and to be humble with what God has given us, then our sacrifices mean nothing. So let's see what Paul said about that, in case you don't believe me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul says this. He says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love... I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm just making a bunch of noise. If I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I even deliver my body to be burned, if I give my life for this message, but I have not love, Paul said, I've gained nothing. And so what Jesus is trying to speak to us is what good is it for us to adhere to things 
if we're not going to ever learn how to show mercy and love to people? Where are those who want to be like Jesus? To look someone in the eye that other people are afraid to touch and say, I am willing to touch you. That I'm not afraid of your condition because there is something living inside of me that is greater than anything that you might be facing. I want somebody to understand something. When I was praying, excuse me, when I was praying yesterday about, about this service, I felt God, I'm not going to say God spoke to me because God didn't speak to me. But I felt God really strongly in this passage. And I felt like God is trying to position this church to have an unprecedented impact on this city. And when I talk to people, I've talked to Brother Ariel, I've talked to Brother Nick, I've talked to the people in Hyphen. When I talk to people, it's almost like God is uniquely positioning Life Church to have a great and lasting influence on the city of Tyler. Just take a look around at the leadership that we have in this church with the guidance from Pastor Gandy. We're not called to just be another church in Tyler that gathers together and is afraid of the culture that's surrounding us. But God is calling us to step out in faith with love and with mercy to impact our community in ways that we didn't even know was possible. But we cannot do that if we hide behind our holiness. You see, there's too many people that think that revival and holiness are competing ideas, right? We all know somebody that said something along these lines. Well, that church is the revival church, and that church is the holiness church. Amen? Am I the only one that's ever heard that? And then those in the holiness church say, well, the revival church must be compromising because if God was going to give them revival, he would give us revival because we're the holy church. But we have to understand that we don't have to choose. We don't have to choose between being a revival church or a holy church because God is the one that makes us righteous. It's not up to me to be holy or righteous. God does that. Being righteous isn't something that I can do on my own. But God sets it apart, and it's up to us that once God does the work in our lives, that when God, once God puts something into our lives, it's up to us to be like Peter and John on the, on the way to the temple when they saw a lame man sitting at a gate, and they said, Silver and gold have I not, but what I have, I'm going to give you. If I never get it for myself, then I'm going to be ineffective in the culture that I'm trying to reach. But if God has put something inside of me, then I am equipped. Then you are equipped to walk down the streets of your city and say, what God has given me, I'm going to give to you. What God has put in my life, God wants to do in your life. And we should have a testimony. We should be excited and we should be, we should be willing to go out and say, hey, can I tell you what God did for me? Can I tell you about the times that God, that I was strung out on drugs and I didn't know how I was going to get out of the, the mess that I was in. But God did a work in my life and God changed me and God delivered me and God raised me up out of that pit that I was in. And if he did it for me, he can do it for you. So we have to be willing to give people what God has given us. We have to start sharing what God is giving us. We have to start looking to give this beautiful message of hope and restoration to every single person that we can find. We have to understand that this gospel is more powerful than any political stance you can have. That this gospel is more powerful than the culture that we're living in. That it's more powerful than any alternative that we have. And we have to understand that and we have to be willing to share that. And if not, we will stay small-minded in our little church and will never grow 
and we'll never experience what God wants us to experience. And so this is why Jesus was saying he desired mercy and not sacrifice. Because if it came down to it, your sacrifices will never move God if you're not willing to learn to show love and mercy. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And of all these lists of rules in the Old Testament, all these thousands of rules that you have, which one is the most important? Which one is the most the top of the list? And so in Matthew 22 and 36, this is what Jesus said. That you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. In other words, everything that the law said, everything that the prophets spoke hinges on us learning to love God right and love people right. You see, the culture that we're living in, it's a very us versus them culture. Where we put labels on people and we assume their worst intentions. And so it's easy to begin to look down on those who are standing on the different side of the aisle on issues that I'm standing on. And it's easy to judge people that disagree with me. But if we could ever learn that the only thing that separates me from the worst person on this planet, it's not my holiness, it's not my standards, it's not my personal convictions, but it is but by the grace of God that I am what I am and that I'm not something worse. That if God had not found me when he did, there'd be no telling where I'd be at this evening. But because I can remember where God brought me from, I can remember that such were some of us. That I look at the culture and I say, as bad as it is, such were some of us. There's ex-drug addicts here. There's ex-gang members here. There's ex-alcoholics here. There's ex-adulterers and fornicators. God has done a work in our lives. And so we have to understand that if God did it for me, then nobody is off limits for God. And so it's not up to us to decide who gets to hear the gospel and who doesn't. We can't write anybody off because nothing is too hard for God. And so I always want to make sure that what I believe in my heart is evident through my actions and my lifestyle. And so there's, there's an interesting passage in, in the book of Micah, chapter 6. And don't worry, I'm almost done. Micah, chapter 6, and verse 6, they say, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with the thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Again, this doesn't mean that your sacrifices are no longer relevant. Or that your sacrifices are not important. But that just as important as it is to sacrifice your life for God. Just as important it is to, for you to decide that you're going to abstain from things as a sacrifice to God. It's just as important to make sure that you are loving people the way that God has called us to love them. And so I want to tell a story. And I'm, I'm sure I've probably told this story before, but it's worth repeating. And this sums up what I'm trying to say. There was a story of a church that had a shelter for alcoholics. And there was a particularly unruly man in this shelter named Joe who was just angry, didn't want to be there, 
just wanted to go back and get drunk. But one day, the power of God fell on old Joe, and he was filled with the Spirit of God. And God changed Joe. But instead of leaving and going out and living his life, Joe decided that he was going to stay at the shelter and help out. He wanted to be there for others as they were there for him in his darkest days. And so Joe simply did whatever was needed. He cleaned. He took out the trash. When they'd bring in somebody that was drunk and they would pass out and throw up, he would go get the person, take them to their bed. He would clean them up. He would clean up the mess. Joe just wanted to love people. And so one day during an altar call, the preacher was walking around praying for those in the altars. And he overheard a man sitting in the corner praying to himself, saying, God, make me like Joe. And so the preacher went up to him and said, Sir, wouldn't, wouldn't you rather be like Jesus? To which with all sincerity, the man looked at him and said, Is, is Jesus like Joe? And the preacher looked at him and said, Yes. Jesus is like Joe. You see, sometimes the only Jesus people will ever know is the one they see in my life. And we mistakenly think that everybody knows about Jesus. But the truth is, some people only know what they've seen through other Christians. And it would be a shame for people to reject a God they've never met because his people who are supposed to be like him have misrepresented him to the world. And so we must never underestimate the power of just doing good. When Peter was called to the house of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, he was presenting the gospel to a new group of people. He was presenting Jesus to the Gentiles for the very first time. People that had never met him, that had never seen him. And as he gets ready to introduce him, this is what he says in Acts chapter 10 and, and verse 38. He says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Really? That's all, that's all you had to say about Jesus? I mean, he walked on water. He raised the dead. He spoke to the storm and it stopped. He, he, he halted funeral possessions. He, he did all these wonderful things. And the thing you said was that he just went around doing good, healing those oppressed by the devil. Like, you could have been talking about any of us. We could all do that. But that was the point. Because Jesus lived a life We'll never be able to walk on water. We'll never be able to do the miracles that Jesus did. But we can live with the type of compassion and love that Jesus lived with. God has anointed us with his spirit. And because of that, we should be going around doing good. Healing all those who are oppressed by the devil. Because God is with us like he was with Jesus. And so if we could stand tonight.